Hello, my friends, and welcome to this week's New World Kirtan podcast. It's Tuesday, June 18th, 2013. I'm Kitsy Stern, and I host and produce this show as an act of love and service to our Kirtan community. It's also an audio journal of my spiritual journey through the practice of singing and playing Kirtan. Ah, summer has arrived. The raspberries are ripe, and life is good. Blue Spirit Wheel and Shantala are coming to Corvallis this weekend, so our Kirtan community is anticipating a feast. And it's almost time to hit the Bhakti Trail again for Midwest Bhakti Fest, the first week in July. If you want to go, sign up for our newsletter at the website, and you'll be entered in a drawing for a free ticket. If you can't go to the festival, there will be a link in the next newsletter to a survey, and uh, you can weigh in on what artists you'd like us to record for the live podcasts. We'll listen to your feedback, so check the schedule and let us know. Look for that in the next week or so. This week, we have an interview with the delightful Ragani. She has been leading kirtan in Milwaukee, Wisconsin since 2001, and her kirtans regularly attract hundreds of people. In fact, she leads one of the largest independent kirtan scenes in the United States. Ragani and I have some history. When I first became aware of kirtan many years ago, it wasn't through a live performance, it was through CDs. On kirtan evenings, our yoga teacher had us chant to CDs from a lot of different artists, Indian and American. And I remember being struck with the image of Ragani on her CD, The Best of Both Worlds. My eyes kept being drawn to it. When I got home that night, the first thing I did was buy that CD and it was the first kirtan music I ever bought. Ragani was the first person I called when I got the idea for the New World Kirtan podcast, and she so kindly and graciously encouraged that dream. She came to Corvallis for a workshop several years ago, and she enthralled us with her magical kirtan and her stories about her guru. Ragani's sense of humor is uh, uh, unique. <laughs> We crack each other up, as you can probably tell by the gales of laughter, especially toward the end of the interview. You can hear her play at Bhakti Fest Midwest on Friday night at 7.30, and you'll find a link to discounted tickets at the New World Kirtan website. Enjoy the beautiful, delightful Ragani. And until next week, my friends, namaste. So, Ragini, it is a pleasure to have you on the show and talk to you about your music today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Kidzy. <laughs> You've been doing Kirtan in the Midwest for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still only 29. So you have been holding down the Kirtan scene in the Midwest when nobody knew what Kirtan was. Uh, we certainly started it then. There's quite a big scene happening now with a lot of uh, kirtan artists coming up and coming through, and it's it's really uh, it's really wonderful to see. And uh, but when we started there, uh, in fact, I remember the one in Milwaukee. We didn't start 30 years ago. This one we started in 2001, 
And I remember saying to my husband when I was sort of brainstorming how to get this started, um, you know, what should we call it? Because we call it Kirtan, nobody's going to know what that is. And we kind of went back and forth with what to actually call it. And I decided to call it Kirtan because I thought we will just make it known and people will then come to know what Kirtan is. And I remember the first time I went into the Outpost Natural Foods Co-op um, and I was getting some produce and I happened to overhear a woman on her cell phone talking about uh, the kirtan that she was going to go to. And she didn't know I was standing there. She maybe didn't even know who I was, but we were the only ones doing kirtan town at that time. And I remember hearing her say kirtan and it just lit me up. I thought, this is the start. Yeah. <laughs> this is how it starts. <laughs> so I was glad that we still use the, the word. And part of the decision of that was to use the word specifically for call and response, even though it could mean a lot more uh, than that. What, you know, a lot of what I crafted in terms of the writing and the, um, you know, the things that we said about kirtan were, were purposefully done to kind of set the pace for what this kirtan scene would be. about the the podcast because um, you were the first person I called yes. one of the first people I called I when um, yeah yeah that was this is this is a moment that uh, it's like a, a, a shift in history where the kirtan is really you know 10 years ago it wasn't that known and you know we started at Milwaukee it was fairly quiet in terms of a national presence but it is really becoming something that is now kind of taking over the world and mm -hmm. To have your podcast where people can go and hear for free all these different kirtan artists. I mean, you the the beauty of what you bring to it is that you have so many different artists with so many different um, you know little nuances of how they do the kirtan, their own style. You know, mm -hmm. people doing it with rap or with R and B or whatever it might be. And you've given equal attention across the board to so many new artists and in introducing them. And I'm. I'm just so grateful for what you're doing to share this with the world because it's such a service. And for so many years, I remember that first phone call we had, with, you know, <laughs> how is this going to happen? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know what this is, but I'm feeling it. And, you know, the inspiration that you had was what really carried you into this beautiful project that has, let me look at what it's evolved into now, doing live festivals. I and know. you know. It's amazing. I know. It is amazing. And, you know, Krishna Das says that all you really need to do is chant mm -hmm. and live your life. And and that's really all it, I've done because I'm clueless. I am basically... <laughs> <laughs> Can I comment on that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I may edit this, this part out. <laughs> But I, you know, I mean, I'm coming to it from no tradition. I, I, I just, I just love the music, and, um, and I, and the thing is, is that the music is a great on ramp for this practice because you can get into it for the music mm -hmm. and be transformed by the practice, and I'm living proof of that. Yes. Um, yeah. So you know, it's been, it, it's, it, it's a wonderful way that I can be of service. And it's also an incredible growth tool for my own spiritual development. It's been amazing. It is. 
It is, and it does have, as you said, with the kirtan itself, you know, a lot more people are talking about what it's doing and that it's a great beginning point for people to come in because, you know, a lot of people just come in and say, well, it's great music. And then they start to hear and feel what it does for them. And they start to ask questions of what does this come out of? And is there something more I can learn? And, uh, you know, it's it's almost like going to a beginning hatha or yoga class where people then come in and then they get more interested in the tradition mm-hmm. from which it has been taught so that there then can be, uh, you know, further growth into meditation practices and going into that ultimately into that silence and that um, place of bliss that we can go into with uh, any transformation that we step into. At the same time, I see it does offer people a door in, and many times you get a hundred people to go to yoga class, there may be five who then start to ask, is there something more? Yeah. What What more can, where can I learn more? How, what, I notice the stillness in me when I stop. What's that about? Yeah, you know, and I think it's the same thing with, with Kirtan. Um, Absolutely. It's not traditional. And, um, you know, there are, are some that have a problem with the fact that it's it's not traditional and that people are, you know, I think, um, you know, uh, kind of getting off on the music and whatever. But you know what? The chants work. They uh, do? They, they do. They're subtle. They're subtle. But you keep chanting no matter what form yeah. you do it in, and you're, it will change you. It creates a groove in the mind. It's like doing any mantra repetition it creates a subtle groove it's like taking a shower you know you feel a little different it changes a little something and that shift creates a new groove that then allows your mind to go in that groove rather than the groove of you know arguing with somebody or why don't they like me or what's wrong with me in the world and you know it creates a new pattern of thought and starts to clear things out so that you can start to you know understand more of who you are get closer to that yeah, it's a great, great practice. It's subtle. Powerful. It's yeah, and it, it um, it's it is powerful. It's subtle and it's powerful. Um, I had no idea where it was going to take me. You know, mm-hmm. it it reignited my love of music. I never thought I would perform again. And and um, you and a lot of our band members have said the same thing. Oh, they interesting. basically were like has-beens of the music world and came back in with a renewed vitality and vigor to do music again.
I started doing yoga back in in high school, and mm -hmm. um, nobody knew what it was. And the nuns called my parents and thought I had joined a cult. You know, I mean, it was. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't know that about you. Oh Me yeah. Me too. Oh, they thought yeah. I was going to shave my head. Yeah, back in the early <laughs> '80s, it was like you know that was just not cool to do that so much. And yeah, yeah, I didn't but, know that about you. Yeah, yeah, I was doing yoga. There were only two books, you know, and um, and uh, and I was talking to I think it was Kristen uh, Luna Ray last year at Midwest Bhakti Fest about how long it took for the whole scene to just kind of like percolate into the Midwest because there there weren't a lot of yoga studios in the Midwest and not a lot of um, and so it was so wonderful to be at Bhakti Fest Midwest last year and see all the people that had come with their kirtan communities intact, you know, mm. from, from cities. Like they had come with their whole, and they were just so delighted to have this mm -hmm. for them, you know, that it was, yeah. it was for the Midwest and it was so, they, it, was, it was so great to be there and be among people who were gathering for the first time, you know, with a lot of different people in the scene. Yeah, it brought a lot of groups together. It was a really um, beautiful scene to have uh, people from Minneapolis and Chicago and mm -hmm. Milwaukee and Madison and you know just all the Midwest coming in as well as some coming in from obviously out of town or out of the Midwest and uh, there is you know it was an honoring for us knowing that it came to the Midwest before it even went to New York I mean Sridhar just was um, really he really made a, a statement to do that and I think it it uh, it really inspired some of the kirtan artists, and as a result of that, there are even more kirtan scenes now happening around. That you know, artists that will probably one day be at Bhakti Fest playing. They're just it's really beautiful to see. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing. And Sridhar, yeah. he he is somebody else who has been just a transformative figure in this whole movement. He, I mean, his his vision. Uh, you know, Bhakti Fest has manifested out of that, and it's just—it's so beautiful to see it. Yeah. Yes. To see it, they're having yeah. their their fifth year anniversary this year, and um, hard to believe it's been five years. But uh, oh, it's just such a wonderful, such a wonderful festival, it really. Is. Yes, it's amazing. And when I think as to who could have done something like this, it comes. Uh, it's occurred to me that perhaps he was the the one, the only one. There's others, obviously, that could have done it, but because of his experience and what he did at Woodstock with Swami Satchidananda mm -hmm. and the background that he had and the interest in this kind of festival scene and the experience that he had, he brings something to now a different venue to the music of Kirtan, to sacred chant, to you know the yoga scene that is very pertinent to today as opposed to just another rock concert. You know, it's something that offers something different and he's he's really doing a great service. I was just thinking that this morning before you called, thinking, you know, when, who would have imagined, you know, if someone uh, had told me, which, you know, my teacher had said that I would be doing kirtan back when I was in my teens. And I, I actually thought that was sort of like a, uh, you know, stamp on my forehead with, that was gonna like doom me to like a, a misfit life and I had no idea what was coming, and if someone had told me that the scene would explode in the way that it has, really, uh, you know, I would have pondered how can it be possible um, back then. But you know, of course, it's it's certainly unfolded, and it, it's uh, it's there's been more of the predictions that he said about the 
the kirtan in particular in my life, my teacher had said that I'm watching unfold and it's really incredible to see. Yeah, it's really great to know that we don't have to have it all figured out, isn't it? I mean, I love stories like that because it, it's, um, it's like, ah, we just have to show up, you know? Yeah, show up and, and open our present. hearts, be open to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. see what the next step is. I've, I've had a really transformative year of different uh, experiences. In fact, one of the, um, uh, one of the processes that I've been going through is just that, is that things that I thought would be set in a certain way uh, no longer are. And so even the music that I always thought I had to do a certain way or a certain style, even that's changing. So it's, uh, it's an evolution and just being open to that process and realizing that we have so much more to be open to, to learn. And if we knew it all, we wouldn't have to be here. Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo of that I was I was listening to your um, to the uh, mp3 that you sent me today and mm -hmm. it is really different it's really mm -hmm. different than than um, than the the music that you've done previously and so you want to talk a little bit about what you've been working on that maybe led to that sure there's uh, you know the the chance that we've done so far it's the last CD we put out was what 2007 I mean it's been like 10 million decades ago <laughs> you know it's certainly the the uh, the music that I'm doing and working on now feels very, uh, it feels the same in some ways. The thread is still there, but it feels um, richer in a lot of ways for me because the um, there was a, a, um, a couple of years that I took a hiatus from recording kirtan music and got very involved in doing film and TV recordings and um, wrote music for the Oprah Winfrey show and did some other, you know, recordings around for different major studios which you know I'd signed some contracts with and and in doing that part of the experience for me was stepping out of my comfort zone of I just do the kirtan music um, interestingly enough uh, my teacher who is Swami Rama had said to me you were born to sing he didn't say you were born to do kirtan um, but the sacred music was a thread that I felt would always be there in the music that I did and while I was doing this film and TV music it was very fast turnaround, you know, sometimes they needed a song in two days and it was like a kind of a hip hop type song or R&B or they needed something that was background for a mystery piece or so it was very much a variety of music that I got the experience of having to write start to finish in my studio and sending it off. Um, and in doing that, I was specifically wanting to, you know, kind of 
get my chops up for writing faster, for doing more, to kind of, you know, pushing my edge as far as what was comfortable for me. What I also realized in doing that is that I really didn't want to do that for a living. That if I was to leave my body tomorrow, that saying that I wrote for, you know, or had music on Oprah's show or that I wrote for this company or that company didn't mean as much to me as knowing that I could leave a legacy behind of the sacred music that I wanted to release. Mm -hmm. And so that changed again then uh, my decision and I stepped out of some of the studio work that I was doing and really started focusing on what is it that I really want to record. And that's where this um, Guru Brahma song that started it is I thought I'll do a very stripped down CD of just a drone or a little something in the background but no real instrumentation as such and my vocal on top and it's been a challenge to do that in some ways because you can hear everything I don't want to be thinking about something else or thinking about what are people going to think when they hear this or what about you know what I did yesterday I I want to just be fully present to what that song what I'm feeling when I'm singing that song mm and what the meaning and what the purpose of, of saying those words are so that the energy that I might share could be bigger, like something else could come through and be embodied in that song, in that, in that vocal. Yeah. It's always my prayer that somehow when people hear the song, you know, people say, well, it's always better going to a live event and whatnot. And I tell people, you know, you can have a recording that will evoke that spirit and or the energy of that, and you can actually make that recording live by playing it because it then starts to embody the energy as you're playing it. So you can use recordings in that way. And that's been my prayer that I've always asked my teacher, you know, who's not physically here anymore, that whatever it is that I might record, especially the sacred world music, that it would have some of that energy that could still transform or touch people in a way um, that they might experience you know in meeting somebody in person but to have that just through the music i thought to have that energy in the music would be my prayer and it's always my hope that that might happen little bit about Swami Rama you were um, you met him when you were quite young mm-hmm. um, I was eight when I met him yeah so tell me a little bit about that what was that like um, when I first met him you know I met him because my parents had gone my mom especially was involved in homeopathy and some other um, things like that and she had gone with my dad to Chicago to hear him speak and we were too young to you know go down and hear him speak so we slept upstairs but 
you know there's a little meeting I had with him at that point when he came in the door and it was interesting because I remember thinking if he's who I think he is he'll know that I want to meet him and I was standing in the bookstore which was dark and it was closed because he was going down to the lower level to teach but as he came in the door he walked over you know he stopped he acknowledged me and I was not standing in a place where you could see it clearly just coming in the door and then he went down to do his his um, program and I remember driving home that night thinking I want to study with somebody like that I I, I want to study with someone who knows those levels of thought and practice and it felt so familiar to me and I didn't even know what it was and as I started reading some of the stuff that he had published you know I had a little magazine out at that time and um, called Dawn or something and he talked about enlightenment and he talked about what is it we really want in life and what's the purpose of life and I thought oh, first time I saw that article the purpose of life who knows that like how wow somebody who could actually talk about that and it was so inspiring to me I was probably like 13 or something at the time I couldn't get enough of it and started reading Yogananda's autobiography of a yogi and a few other things at that time and and you know evolved into by the time I was 15 I'd gone to the Congress that was held out in Pennsylvania that he organized where they brought in a lot of teachers from all over the world and you know way back in the day when they had it in Chicago it was they had Yogi Bhajan and Swami Satchidananda and you know a lot of the um, people who are now known you know in yeah. the yoga field yeah. and um, and so I went out there I was out there for a congress and lots of people uh, you know that I met and Bernie Siegel I remember meeting him way back when and oh. and the next year I said to my mom I don't want to do soccer camp this summer I had done soccer camp for a number of years in a, a row and she said why don't you go out and study with Swami Rama and you know do like a, what they call a self-transformation program which is a month-long program and I just lit up when she said that and I thought I will do whatever it takes to make the money to get myself out there and that next summer I went and it was the first of of continuous summers after that for 11 years that I went out and um, and spent my summers with him and it changed my life it was like picking up somewhere that I had left off long time ago that I didn't even know what I was looking for when I saw that I couldn't imagine anything that I would want to do more than that. In fact, you know, as, as you noticed when you were in school, there, the people were teasing you or thinking that you were going to a cult. And my friends in high school and college used to say that I was going to a nunnery or, you know, some kind of place where they're going to shave my head. And, and I remember thinking, because they go off to the beaches in the summer and stuff. And I remember thinking, if they really knew what I was doing, if they really knew what I'm seeing out there, what I'm experiencing, they would, they would just, they would die to come with me yeah. if they really knew. Um, but at that point, it, it wasn't, it was not something they were awakened to or had thought about. And so it, you know, it was like just some strange thing that Raggedy was going off to do yoga or whatever. Yeah, it's better than any science fiction movie, isn't it? Oh, Kidzie, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. It really, you know, the, the things that when I think to back to the experiences I had sitting with him, they were surreal. I mean, it, there was, you know, for instance, there was a, a morning that I had a dream about him and it wasn't really a dream. It was one of those um, experiences where you just feel like something else is happening. You know, you're, it's in the middle of the night, 
I was sleeping apparently and that I went into this other experience and I was so overwhelmed by what he was doing with me in that experience. Um, this state, I had my head in his lap and he, I was looking up at him and he would reach down and touch my forehead and every time he touched my forehead, I was gone. I was like in this place where everything was bigger and it was all of me and it was beautiful. It was incredible. And I would feel myself then become aware of the fact that I was experiencing this and I would be back in his lap. He was looking at me and again, he would touch my forehead and I would go into this space again. And as he did this a couple of times, I realized, oh my God, he's, he's aware that he's doing this to me. And it wasn't a dream. I was aware then that he was aware of it. And then I didn't know, you know, enough of how to stay in that state or anything but at that time, but I felt him touching me. I would go to that place and I would come back and he would, he'd be half smiling. He would reach down slowly, touch me again. I would go to that place. It was amazing. And so I woke up or I came out of that state. I'm sitting in my room, it's dark and I'm thinking, wow, I know that was him. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, you know, it's early in the morning and I couldn't sleep. I just was so inspired by what had just happened. As, and that next morning I went up to see him because I happened to be at the ashram when that happened. And I, I walked into his room and he was sitting on his usual um, futon that he sat on. And I sat down, he said, how are you? As he often did. And in the mornings he was often kind of, he'd come out of his meditation. He almost looked a little drunk <laughs> sometimes. And, you know, so he looked at me and I said, Swamiji, I have a question for you. And I asked him, uh, you know, what was that last night? And he looked at me and his eyes got big and he said, you remember? And then I looked at him and I was just as shocked that it really was him. It was like the second dawning of, it really was you. And he said, yes, whenever I appear to you in that way, you'll know that it's me. Uh, and, you know, there were experiences like that where, where I'd come up with, where he'd say something to me in a dream and I'd go up to see him and I wouldn't tell him and I'd walk in the room and he'd look at me and then he'd say what he had just said to me in a dream. And I'd say, you, you just said that to me. He said, I know. He said, and then he'd look at me like, you remember? Like I, you know, like most of us don't remember usually when mm. we're dreaming and we wake up, we don't remember all of what happened, but he seemed just as surprised by that. And How old were you when all this was happening? I went there, um, like I said, I was 15 when I did the first Congress and I went there after for 11 years. So this was probably in, um, actually that experience was a little bit earlier on. I'm guessing I was probably 20 or something at the time, you know, 19 or 20, maybe 18 even. Wow. Um, and just, you know, the part that was remarkable to be with someone like that was that when you were with him, those things that happened to him were also happening to you. And it felt like there was little gap in the, it was like the veil that was normally there in terms of how we see life and what we think is real was so thin. You would feel yourself experiencing things that seemed surreal, that seemed unbelievable. I mean, how could somebody know what I'm thinking all the time? I mean, like when I think of those things compared to what he did later in the years, they seem like small little fries now compared to the other stuff. But it was the beginning steps of realizing that there is somebody always witnessing us and that someone is you. 
And when someone else reflects that back to you, it's so profound. It's unnerving perhaps at first to feel like someone is seeing all of you, that they understand your subconscious and all of the thoughts and fantasies, all the things that you've ever done, all the things you think you might do. That can be unnerving at times, especially if you're not used to thinking that way or, or feeling like, you know, my privacy is me and it's limited just to me. But in the yoga world, it says we're all connected. And that's not just something that's a new age, you know, thing that we throw around. It, it really means we are all connected. And at some level, we share that unconscious, that that realm of the unconsciousness, or the, what we call the, the unconscious realm of the mind. And it's where the archetypes and all these things come out of that some of the psychologists have talked about. When you have somebody that is embodying that, what I consider the master of yoga that can display that and show that back to you, reflect it back to you. Oh, Kidzie, it is so profound. It it's it changes everything about you because you realize you are being seen, you're being heard with everything that you do. There's no going it alone anymore. And it's also the most difficult process because you're being seen and heard for everything that you do. And so it, it's, as one man said many years ago, it's your best dream that you could ever have to find this. And it's also your worst nightmare. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because all of the stuff that you don't want to face, all the things that you want to say, that's not me, or I would never do that, or all the ego-related stuff, um, once you step on that path, it becomes part of the training to remove things that are not you so that you can see who you really are. And we hang so tightly to those things that we think that is me or, you know, um, things that we feel we have to identify with. So he was a, he was a master of, um, we used to say there's three ways to burn your karma. One is through illness or poor health. Another is through poverty or, um, you know, poor, poorness, so to speak. And the third one is public humiliation. And he was a master of public humiliation. <laughs> he would he would come up with stuff that just was like, and just, you would feel like you wanted to die when it would happen. And he would get you right where, um, right where it, it hurt. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Hearing you talk about Swamiji, it just um, I've been listening to a lot of Ram Das um, mm -hmm. podcasts and um, and Krishna Das's lectures. Oh yeah, and this is you know I mean it was his book, um, Be Here Now, that was the the portal for me. To all of a sudden I read that book and it was like the world opened up. It was oh mm -hmm. my I have been I have been blind and um, and listening to him now. Uh, talk about his experiences with um, Neem Karoli Baba yes. and uh, Krishna Das's experiences with um, with Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba. They, they talk about the same thing, yes. you know, how how he was a piece of work, uh, but but he he brought up the stuff that that was, you know, enslaving you. And okay. and, and 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 it's not an easy thing, not not mm -hmm. easy at all. Yeah. Um, to be an initiate in that kind of uh, on that kind of uh, path, and um, 
It is. I mean, when you choose it, all of a sudden, it seems things, you're right, things do get harder and all of a sudden stuff is in your face. Um, Shit hits the fan. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you know, you get through that honeymoon phase and you're at the in the honeymoon phase thinking, this is great. I'm going to stay here, Swamiji. I am committing myself to this path. And then the shit hits the fan. Yeah. Like, Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> and you know, that's where, and that, I think for me, it was good at the age that I was to be there because I saw people bolt at that time. It was like they could take, that was as much as maybe they were supposed to have in this lifetime. And they would just bolt. They would storm out. They would leave. They'd get mad. You know, whatever it was, they'd, they'd you know, start rumors or they'd get upset and off they'd run. And I remember when I saw that enough times going out the ashram, people coming and going, I vowed to myself, I don't care what he does to me. This is going to sound really strange because, you know, it doesn't fit in the paradigms of what I do in my uh, or what I did in my clinical psychology practice, you know, with abuse. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, really, it doesn't. And it's not something I often talk about because I think it's misunderstood. But I decided at that time that it doesn't matter what I go through or what he does to me or with me, I am going to stay. That's really remarkable, you know, because most teenagers are not real. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to get them to, to see things about themselves that might be difficult and, and to, you know, to have that you committed to that at such a young age. That's pretty remarkable. Did you find it difficult to reenter the world of a, a normal American teenager after oh, being in that atmosphere? I did. I bet. I had a hard time um, bringing the two worlds together. In fact, they weren't together. Still, there's times that it's more together now than it used to be, but it was very separate for me. And it was so difficult to leave that world where I had what I had and I'd seen what I'd seen and I experienced what I experienced and to go back into (laughs) high school and college Mm. and just kind of be a regular person, which nobody really knew anything about me. You know, I was scholar athlete so you know I was good at sports and school and whatnot and I did fine with that but my heart just longed and ached to be there I would got to the point where after the first two years of going there the day after school whatever it took I would get a bus I would you know get a ride from somebody I would fly anything just to get out there as quick as I could he would come just for the summers and I wanted to be there as as long as I could with him uh and it was it was hard because, yeah, you know, having the idea of just doing the regular things, I think there's a part of me that vowed I would I would um, not go fully into awakening myself so that I could actually get through school and still function. And right. um, it was a hard decision. It was hard to do that. I used to beg him, so how much you don't don't send me back. Just I'm, I know what I want. I want to stay with you. I don't, don't send me back to go to school. I don't, it's stupid. You know, school is useless. I'm good at it. I've already shown I can be good at it. I don't need to keep doing that. And he'd say, go back and finish your college. And I finished college as Swamiji. I'm done now. No, no, now get your master's. Okay. I'm doing it. Now get your doctorate. Okay. Swamiji now get married. It was like, Oh God, are you kidding me? And finally, when I got to that point, the last one that he had said was the getting married point. And I said, when I'm finished with this and I've done what you've asked, can I go back just to do the music? And he said, yes, it, it was difficult going back. And, um, and those were hard times. You know, um, 
to a much smaller extent, I can relate because I find it so difficult to come back and reintegrate after after Bhakti Fest mm-hmm. um, and Shakti Fest. It takes me, and I long for that. I long to go to Joshua Tree. It's like I can't wait to get there. Mm-hmm. And it's because that atmosphere of being in, it's not a physical presence as you were drawn to him. I'm drawn to the atmosphere that is created by people coming together with the intention of having it be about love and about loving kindness. Mm-hmm. And um, It's beautiful. I remember reading that when you talked about that coming back or, or hearing it in your podcast and thinking... It's the same thing. It's that feeling of opening to something bigger than you. And it opens you in some way. Yeah. So Bhakti Fest Midwest, you're headlining Friday night, right? Yeah, they gave us a um, headlining spot this year on Friday. We're really excited about it. And um, I've been doing some contemplations about exactly what I want to bring to that energy because it's, um, as I said, you know, that the chanting itself, it can become more like a party scene or, you know, you can you can do whatever you want with the music. It could become something that's very quiet or... Um, and I've decided I, I want to bring my teacher back in um, 
more so and maybe even share a story on that night because I want to bring um, I didn't do as much of that last year at the Bhakti Fest and you know we were newer and just kind of feeling out what you know what the scene was there uh, but I, it seems like it might be appropriate to share something like that and so I'm if it feels right that night I'm gonna do a little more of that good um, but yeah we're really looking forward to Friday night and to seeing some of the artists that I've only communicated with you know via email or phone you know meeting them in person and uh, it's just, yeah, we're really, we're really honored to be coming this year. And uh, Sridhar is just doing a wonderful thing to honor the local talent that's here because there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that, like I said, there's the people that are featured there is a even just a sampling of what has been going on in the Midwest. There, there are so many artists that are starting to record their CDs and to lead events. And it's just, it's such an honoring to have them be included in this so that it feels like it's, also their event which it is you know it's the midwest is uh, we're going to make it bigger than the joshua tree one you just wait <laughs> you just wait it's slow growing but it's gonna it's gonna flow over and become the biggest seed in the nation <laughs> i have i have no doubt no doubt because you know the people that were there last year they they have been hanging together for a while and it was like this is our event we're going to make it great and um yeah, you, they're, and they actually stick around. You know, people in the Midwest are consistent. They're, you know, it's not a fight or flight kind of, you know, reaction they have to it. They come in it, they like it, they stay, they bring their friends. It's just, it's one of those things that has a momentum that just um, grows organically. And uh, and I think it's going to grow exponentially this year compared to what was there last year. Well, last year was the first year everybody was sort of checking it out, you know, and, and uh, but the, the energy was there and the spirit was there mm -hmm. and it was so great to be there and be a part of it. Um, so it'll yeah, be even I'm more fun this year. One. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. It's it's just I'm, I'm just looking forward to being there this year and seeing seeing it, you know, as it evolves. Yeah, it's we are very much looking forward to it and having that spot in the evening where it goes from twilight to dark mm. is just such a sacred time i feel so honored to have that slot of time uh and it's it's the time that we like to do the kirtan anyway so it's it's really um i'm really excited about this event this year yeah me too well it will be wonderful to see you again it'll be wonderful to see you kidsy <laughs> we'll have to create some mischief <laughs> <laughs> oh good I'm just so honored and grateful to be able to be there with you all. And, and uh, well, live streaming isn't possible because there is no wireless at the festival live site. live stripping might be. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
fact, we're thinking maybe we'll get the numbers up even more so in our Cure County that if we advertise live stripping could be possible. Yeah, there we go. Now that is some mischief to be created there. Make it Cure time. I've been threatening the Midwest that we're going to do this at some point. I think some people are a little disheartened by it. But you know, for the people that leave who are disheartened, 10 more come in out of curiosity. So it's really building numbers up quickly. <laughs> Naked Kirtan seen in Milwaukee. There. And Kirtan. <laughs> Packers. Well, it gives a new feeling to some of those words. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the Bob. <laughs> Just be in the Bob. Be in the Bob. Bear in the Bob. <laughs> Bear in the Bob. <laughs> oh. And it went downhill from there. Well... It has really, it's really been great to talk to you. I always enjoy it, and um, and it will be really fun to see you next month. Um. Thank you, Kinsey. It'll be really fun to see you too. Yeah, uh, we've cut out a lot of the the really good stuff. This is you could probably tell because we're laughing our butts off here. But um, but anyway, yeah, this has been really fun, and um, I'll see you next month. It sounds good, Kinsey. Thank you so much for what you're doing. It's a pleasure. Jaya Ganesha, Jaya Jaya.